0: Greetings,
1: Grapple Fan, and welcome to the second part of the AEW Full Gear a 5 Star Project in which myself, Lorcan Mullen and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host Simon Cross discuss a match that Dave Meltzer's rated 5 stars or higher and as I've already said we're at Full Gear 2021 but we're in the or higher category for this one this is a 5.5 star encounter apparently, Simon what is the other Full Gear 2021 match we have to cover for this show
0: We are talking about the AEW world title match between Kenny Omega, the defending champion, and the challenger,
1: Hangman Adam Page. So, usually we hold it off till the end, but I want to get into it right away, really, because, as I said in the previous episode, the ratings that Dave Meltzer dished out for this whole show were roundly criticised and ridiculed (laughs) and mocked online. And it does seem ridiculously out of kilter for a lot of them. And so I'll say straight away, this match I didn't give five stars to. Okay. But what I will say that it is, is the end of a five-star storyline. I'd go along with that. I was looking forward to full
0: gear. I am fully invested in Hangman as the leading babyface of AEW at present. I want to talk about how I felt on the day. I was so incredibly nervous. I've never been... It's. I cannot remember in recent memory being this nervous for a wrestling match. Because AEW, part of my brain was saying they might try and draw it out. They might not... He might have another obstacle to overcome. But, like, my brain was just... This is so right. This is so ready. This is, this is the time. This is the moment.
1: All right, Marty McCutcheon.
0: <laughs> hey! Yeah, I just had, like, this horrible, like, nerves in my stomach because of how well the Hangman's got me hooked, like,
1: storyline-wise. So at what point do you think you were hooked by Hangman Adam Page's story?
0: I enjoyed the wrestling of their famous match against the Young Bucks. Uh, And it was very much, like, a guy who's trying to do the right thing but has his own, like, personal demons to overcome unlike the ultimate warrior who's just like this god among men he's a relatable guy he's, he's he's vulnerable he overcomes things i feel that's for a modern baby face exactly what you should be looking for
1: it feels like more than any other guy to be presented as the top star of the promotion at least the top homegrown star now mm. which is what the champion in theory should always be is your top star I don't think there's ever been one that's shown as much frailty and vulnerability and depending on how you want to look at it, therefore weakness in them, in a major national promotion before. Daniel Bryan, I suppose, in a WWE in the sense of being an underdog, and Rey Mysterio as well in that category, and I suppose his first run with the world title CM Punk. And to a lesser degree, Bret Hart during his first run with the WWF title. But my point is that the weaknesses that Adam Page displays aren't actually so much in physical issues, but in mental issues.
0: Yeah, I, I was basically going to say the their weaknesses is just their comparative size, whereas mm-hmm. um, Hangman's weakness is himself, mm-hmm. for want of a better term. I think what's made this story... As much as anything, is the is the great use of the Dark Order. As like, look, these people you fought these people were your friends. You got your head like messed with by like some evil doers, but they didn't look past that. But these guys like you for you. They know you're a good person, and even if you initially push them away, they're like, okay, cool. We're here for you anyway. We're not going to get up in your business, but if you want us, we're here. And he did eventually want them and. Figured out what friendship was all about. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna. Uh, we've already started skipping all over the shop, but the bit at the end where one of the dark order offers him a beer and he shoves it away for the hug is very symbolic of. It. I don't need booze. I have friends. I have actual friends, so I don't need to like mask with like alcohol, which the fun drunk part of Hangman probably was.
1: Well, I don't know if it's the fun drunk part of Hangman, it's the not-fun-drunk part of Hangman. It's the one that just gets too drunk, drinks too much, goes to excess. Because it's not like Paige ever says, I'm an alcoholic. I think the idea is that Paige can still drink, but it's drinking to have fun, not drinking to cover up personal insecurities. Yeah. Is essentially where it goes. So it's funny, really, because obviously... I was listening briefly to some of Jim Cornette's comments about it, and he doesn't believe it's all the vulnerability and everything. It's about someone being a badass and being the top guy. And that's sort of... I'm not going to say it's toxic masculinity, but I think it's very interesting to see that Hangman did probably first connect with the crowd with his drinking. Mm. And I always thought it was so clever that, obviously, when you think drinkers that relate to fans, you're thinking the Sandman and you're thinking Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. Drinking from cans, uh, bringing a six pack. Whereas Hangman, what I liked was that he was drinking from plastic cups and glasses, Mm. that it was a different kind of drinking. And that also allowed a social element to it. And he would drink from the passing fans. And that actually was the initial image of him being the badass, because then when it was the big inner circle, the elite storyline, and Hangman was essentially the guy that swung it in their favour. He always looked cool against the inner circle. And it was when he was all drinking and partying.
0: He got his own special entrance with the horse.
1: Yeah, he got the cool entrance with the horse. He had that amazing cross-field run on the Jacksonville Jaguars yeah. pitch at the st- in the stadium. All of those sort of spots. And that was when he was at his combination. It was funny because it was like... Him seemingly at his most confident, but also underneath was him as it is at his most insecure. Mm. So it's almost like he's taking that Stone Cold Steve Austin invulnerable badass image and then turning it on its head. Yeah, uh, there's a great moment
0: in the Stadium Stampede, uh, which sort of links to the Hangman story. It, it's the moment he cheers, it, it, he does his cheers with Kenny Omega and like the, the milk gets in his whiskey in like a nice little funny moment, which shows he really enjoyed hanging around with Kenny. He enjoyed uh, being part of the tag team and that moment where uh, Kenny lets him fall after they lose the belts and Hangman and Kenny's subsequent guest commentary spots afterwards where Hangman's like, yeah, I'd like to team again and Kenny's like, nah, I'm done. Mm. That's a really good moment in the Hangman story because it's like, it it shows the heartbreak
1: uh, that Hangman went
0: through. It's like, I thought he really was my friend. Mm.
1: But it was that different interpretation of what the friendship meant. Yeah, And again, it was like Hangman was using Omega as an emotional crutch. Again, like his drinking. Mm. Because essentially, that it's all linked back to the very first AEW world title match. So it's ultimately the championship symbolizing something to Adam Page. Yeah. But it also being just part of it. I mean, the obvious point of comparison to make is that when Alex Reynolds offers him the beer, he put takes the beer aside and celebrates with the Dark Order. Now, that is very clearly mimicking when Kenny Omega won the IWGP heavyweight title from Kazuchika Okada. Yeah. And as the belt is being presented to him, he pushes the belt away in order to hug Matt Jackson who he'd been in, at loggerheads with for a long time. Mm. It seems so... It's I mean, it's very much the same people involved in one of those stories doing it again, but instead of themselves being the protagonists, they're the antagonists of this version of the storyline. Yeah. And it is funny, because even you just saying it made me appreciate on another level the fact that the Dark Order, when he said, I need my time away from the Dark Order, the Dark Order gave him his space. Whereas when hangman asked to leave the elite and to be given his space by the elite they took it more personally and resented him for it whereas the dark order didn't yeah
0: and then obviously they win the title off scu sort of around that time when he's like a loose associate of the elite rather than like like going in full ball with them and um, you talked about kenny being an emotional crutch for hangman i think one of the reasons
1: Kenny enjoyed the tag team title run so much is because Hangman was a professional crutch for him. Omega is not the best bout machine that he was. And that Hangman Page has failed to win the world title that he basically gambled it all on. And the whole thing, the whole idea to go into this was that the, it was like Hangman Page had been bought by the elite guys before he was bought by the general wrestling fan. Yeah. And as I said, it was so possible that Hangman could have been perceived as Roman Reyes was during his whole babyface push. Or John Cena before then. Or what Cody Rhodes sort of is now, in a way. The company guy. (laughs) That they're behind, and so they're going to force them down your throats. And, you know, Hangman wasn't a draw at that point. So it was a real risk as well, just for the sake of the storyline of where they wanted to go. But they knew, and you watch it, they always gave themselves enough paths to go down To explore as time goes on. Because whilst this is a five-star storyline, as I would say, it's not a storyline that didn't have bumps in the road that were different to what they planned to go down. Most obviously being the involvement of the Dark Order and then them, you know, John Huber unfortunately passing away. Mm. And so they had to change what would have been the storyline, which would have, you would assume, be Hangman Page liberating the Dark Order from... Brody Lee so they wouldn't have probably been called the Dark Order at that point they would have taken on a new name or new symbols or, or whatever yeah and maybe the Dark Order would have some of them would have stayed with the Dark Order and some would have gone with Hangman Page That's funny, because obviously they're still called the Dark Order, which doesn't really make sense as a a babyface faction.
0: No, but it's it's theirs, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah. It's It's funny as well. It's kind of like when when Mick Foley won the WWE Championship for the first time, and DX were carrying him on their shoulders. So it was like the cool kids hanging out with the dweeb. Now it's a bunch of dweebs hanging out with the cool kid. Yeah. (laughs) They've got it the other way around as well. But yeah, it's just such a great storyline that could have gone the different ways. I mean, there's a YouTube channel I, I sent a link to you. I don't know if you watched any of it, where they compiled the whole storyline from the start of Hangman Page saying he's going to win the world title and be the first champion, not winning it, and then taking him on that journey that factors in Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, FTR, yeah, who are you know Dax Hardwood making a whole point about how I think it's Dax of the two that say that he knew. Hangman Page from the start of his career, and he's always just been a lost little boy. Yeah. And I do like that, because he is of a different generation to the rest of the elite. He is younger than the rest of them. He wasn't an indie star, as Matt Jackson said to him when they were doing that sit-down between them and Omega and Page, you were a jobber in Ring of Honor before we took you under our wing.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: And again, it's like, the the way that Hangman behaved in the first few months of the storyline, if the crowd had seen him as... They had Roman Reigns as, like, the company golden child. Mm. And they didn't like it, and they didn't like Paige as a result. They could have taken it down the road of Paige being bitter and becoming a thorn in the side of the babyface elite. Yeah. And he would have probably won the world title through underhanded means and done everything he could to hold on to it. And then Omega would have beaten him for the belt, or he would have beaten Omega earlier on in in... Underhanded my guess is it would have been heel hangman page would have probably been the one to win it from john moxley and kenny omega babyface would be the one to beat page for it as like the logical end point whether that would be a year-long storyline i don't know because you probably don't need a year to develop omega's character in that sense no
0: Although, the Elite and Kenny, I feel, are far better suited to being heel, so it's it's far better that it has worked out this way.
1: Well, it depends what you want from them, I suppose. If you want the best bout machine, Kenny Omega's not really going to work as like a, a heel in the Don Callis interfering type, and we'll talk about that with the match, because this is still not the New Japan best bout machine Kenny Omega in any of this run. In his character's presentation, he's been this egotistical, exaggerated, ridiculous character who has to use underhanded interference and is much more in the North American vein of... We still haven't seen Japanese Kenny Omega except most closely in the 30-minute match with Brian Danielson. Mm. So what we've seen is a different version of Kenny Omega. Maybe that's down to the physical limitations that we now realise that Kenny Omega's been dealing with for however long that he's going to try and heal and recuperate. Maybe... That Kenny Omega will never come back, even if he goes over to New Japan to have that match with the and Yoko Bushis and they come to AEW and do it similarly. Maybe Kenny doesn't see that as his job anymore. Anyway, the way he wrestles to a North American audience, lower, he's not had, he's not gone beyond thirty minutes in any of his matches, I believe. Like, the, the John Moxley match went under 30 minutes. This match only went 25 minutes. He's not done that.
0: Christian's was, like, 20-ish. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know. Maybe the Revolution match against the Young Bucks went over 30. I'm not sure. Yeah, but that's a
0: tag as well, so he's not doing it all.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a tag, so he's only carrying a quarter of The FTR match, again, I think over 30, but again a tag. Mm. We, we haven't seen full ball. And like I said, maybe that Kenny Omega just isn't there anymore because he is, what, 39 now? Yeah carried a lot of bumps and bruises. Maybe that's why he thought going to North America and wrestling a less intense style, focused on storylines and a TV product. So I don't have to go more than 10, 15 minutes most of the time. I personally think it is that.
0: I just think he's done so much for so long. It it will do him good to have some time away. Like, I don't foresee Kenny Omega being in AW possibly even for the first half of 2022.
1: I would expect him back sometime during the spring. Probably. Mm. Maybe. Unless he has to have major surgery. And obviously, the logical storyline for him to go into, if he comes back that long, then he has to come back as a baby face Yeah. Or at least he'll be cheered. He won't be booed. Yeah. And then maybe very quickly after that, you set up Kenny Omega against Adam Cole or whatever way that goes.
0: Maybe he'd been given a longer leave of absence if it wasn't for the uh, unfortunate. Uh, circumstances surrounding uh John Moxley's absence at present as well.
1: Well that's hard to say. We don't know when John Moxley will come back. But you know
0: Well that this is it.
1: It'll, but if you had John Moxley around, you could maybe give Kenny some more time off. Yeah, but also they have new names now and God knows who else will become available to them in the next <laughs> few months when Vincent Man continues to lose or his Or if mind. contracts expire. And there being space on the card there's plenty of people that can go up. When Kenny Omega started off as champ, Brian Danielson wasn't there. CM Punk yeah. wasn't there. Adam Cole wasn't there. Jungle Boy was not Jungle Man. Miro hadn't yet been reinvented. MJF hadn't made that step up that he has now in character. So has yeah. Darby Allin. There are people there to take Kenny Omega's place at that part of the card that weren't there when he started off as champion. Yeah, it's in a, yeah, it's in a healthier place.
0: Um, AEW as a whole. And... Uh, Either Vince's, like, you know, um, cuts or contract expiration means there probably will be another little bit of uh, extra sprinkled in in the next few months. You're quite
1: right. So we've gone 20 minutes into this without really discussing the match that much. Oh, you read my mind. And I think it's because the match is very competent. And the story of it ultimately is that Hangman Adam Page doesn't have the mental frailties anymore Yeah, that he is fully there right at the start Omega's trying to psych him out and Paige is smiling he's not angry like he was at the start of the revolution tag match against the Young Bucks he's not anxious like he was at the full gear match a year earlier that Omega won mm. he's fully free of all his demons he's at his top game but then the story is can his best beat Omega at Omega's best and Omega dominates early on. There is not a lot of early flurries by Hangman, Adam Page. Don Callis interferes early on.
0: Who, uh, by the way, plays an absolutely phenomenal role in this match as being look at absolute shit house. But that's classic Don.
1: <laughs> but without it, but without being as prominently involved. They do the him taking out Callis and just with a one punch. And that's Callis gone for the rest of the match. And that's about two thirds into it three quarters of the way into it Mm. because then at that point the young bucks come down for you know amdram society depending on how you look at it (laughs) we'll get to that when we get to that they bring things in that are new and different and it was funny because omega's always seen as you know was known for his run in new japan but there was far more all japan in this match i felt classic all japan not just in moves because like at one point omega does uh kawada kicks And they both do backdrop drivers to each other. Yeah, they do. So there's a lot more All Japan referencing than New Japan, I suppose. And I guess that's because this is about emotion, not sporting endeavours. Which I suppose was always the difference between All Japan wrestling, which is more North American influenced, than New Japan, which is more king of sports, martial arts, more realistic influence. Although obviously now... 2010, 2020's New Japan is essentially a merging of those two ideologies together. Yeah. But even then, this is more about the stories. This is more about the sports entertainment element of it. Because that's what's so funny with this whole storyline. This is sports entertainment better than anything Vince McMahon's done in literally decades.
0: (laughs) This match itself is sort of the less is more adage. Like, Like we've talked about already, there is Don shenanigans but not many there is like young books you know old back to like you know two three years ago but it's not yeah. laid on too thick all the elements of this match aren't i can't think of a single one that's overdone and i like how it's like hangman who's got like confidence to uh steal a finisher
1: later on the mental strength the wherewithal yeah at various points when omega thinks he's got him down Hangman Page is basically saying you haven't. Like, they have a strike exchange towards the end. The Omega wins. He wins, like, a punch-off. But then as Omega's down on his knees, he's flipping Omega off defiantly, like, saying that's not going to be enough. Yeah. And Omega hits him with a V-trigger, and then Hangman catches the V-trigger. Although, then Omega's able to escape and hits his own V-trigger, but then runs straight into a rolling elbow. Yeah. Then Omega can't get him up for the powerbomb. Like I said, the all Japan spots. And so he starts hitting him with Kawada kicks and then just Adam Page stands up and just gets right into his face saying, is that all you got, motherfucker? Yeah. It's that whole sense of just mentally and physically Hangman has more in this match. And then you can then play into the whole idea that after a year of defending not only this title but multiple titles that he built up on the you know throughout his run, Maybe Omega is now physically spent. He's got nothing left. Well, they sort of covered
0: that with the whole Christian thing.
1: And Don Callis can't spare him. Yeah. Like, he's getting weaker as the title reign progresses. Yeah, because
0: Christian sort of, like, caught him cold. And, like, since then, he's looked, like, vulnerable. I I, I don't know how he's been, like, put over in Triple R. And now he's had to vacate the Triple R title.
1: Well, he's he's only turned up, like, three times in 18 months there. So there's no way you can really tell a story in that. Yeah, and
0: that's probably pandemic-laden
1: as a result like that's
0: that's like slowed things down a lot
1: i think omega expected to lose the belt to andrade but at triple r rolled the dice once more to say let's see if we can milk this a bit longer turns out they couldn't so but my guess is that omega will turn up at triple r at some point to lose to whoever is the champion Mm. to you know make up for it if they want to keep a relationship with triple r maybe they don't care at this point i don't know Hangman winning this feeling like an inevitability is not a bad thing. I mean, you were saying you were nervous enough that you could tell this story, and I think that's what's good about AEW. And I think at some point in the future, they will book something that seems to reach a natural conclusion of a babyface winning, and they'll have that face lose. Mm. They'll probably, maybe they'll try and make it look like they're replicating this storyline and then just pull the rug out from underneath you. And they, in a way that's logical, and everything will go down a different path that works. I mean, They sort of did it with that elimination match, I suppose, which prolonged Hangman's ascension. Yeah, yeah.
0: That iced it a little bit.
1: Which a lot of people worried was going to lose all the momentum, and that was so Hangman could go away for a month and see the birth of this child. I don't know if I would call it a criticism, but to truly appreciate the whole Hangman-Adam Page storyline from start to finish, you also need to have been watching Being the Elite. Yeah. like There are lots of segments, backstage segments, that feed into it that's not on official AEW programming and the problem with that is with being the elite i sometimes find that a, a hard slog to watch
0: there's a lot of different segments in it as well
1: yeah it reminds me a lot of improv at times where things that should have gone finished a minute <laughs> or two earlier didn't yeah and people are just trying to put in little toppers and they're not necessarily helping the scene yeah itself And then it's just, or we're just watching one member of 2.0 take on fucking Marco stunt in a game of Ludo or whatever it is that takes up 10 minutes of one episode. And, you know, I'm sure they're very nice people, but I don't enjoy playing Ludo, let alone watching other people play it or whatever it is that they do. Ultimately, if AEW gets offered more television, I would suggest not doing another one of Matches. I've said this before, like, if I was to do a reinvention of pro wrestling, if you wanted to reinvent pro wrestling with something different, I would probably go down something along the Lucha Underground route. Yeah? Say you've got a two-hour show. Have it be that one and a half of those hours is the wrestling events. But the first half hour is what all of the people in the wrestling promotion got up to in the week between that event. So you see some people who are like friends in the gym together discussing what's happening. You see heels making little deals behind the backs. You see, it's like kind of like when they were doing some wrestler diaries in the WWE. I remember they did one for Samoa Joe. Yeah. And it was like half in kayfabe, half in reality. Because there was a moment when suddenly he's getting into a mouth off with AJ Styles and it's like it's in kayfabe. There was a great example
0: of sort of what you're talking about, but sort of like not with the Bobby Lashley, Miz, Drew McIntyre storyline, where they they cut to a shot of Miz talking to MVP. You couldn't hear what they're saying, but it it shows that something is going to happen. Mm. And this is why that thing is going to happen, rather than that thing going, oh, look, this is happening, and then having to waste Raw explaining why that thing's happened. In 15 seconds, you've saved 15 minutes, like, down the line
1: but then it's along those lines of like are wrestlers aware that they're on a tv show or it's like you know and sometimes they are sometimes they aren't is my point Mm. sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't depending on how you're taken with the storyline is how much you're willing to suspend your disbelief you know but it'd be like that idea that that half an hour exists to us but doesn't exist to these wrestlers like that's the time when they aren't aware of the camera that they're being filmed and the camera's like a an invisible third person in the room Well, that's what being being the elite is, half that and half not that. Yeah. Because being the elite, you literally have POVs and voiceovers. Like, one of the bits in that montage of Hangman Page is him reading aloud, like, his voiceover explaining that that's what the voiceover is. (laughs) And that's part of this emotionally involving storyline, despite the fact that they're having having a lot of fourth wall breaks. My point would be to do, like, a half-hour version of that on TNT or TBS... Maybe as its own little half hour show. Yeah. And that that isn't fourth wall breaking. So you don't have the Ludo intervals. You don't have any of that. But you do have the equivalent of the Dark Order getting into wacky shenanigans. You do have Hangman Adam Page being hassled by John Silver. You do have whatever the fuck Dolph Ziggler's brother's doing in all these being the... I fast forward every single one of those bits. Or Peter Avalon... Tried to get back together with Blue Pants, whatever her name is.
0: Lever Bates.
1: So it's something along those lines. So it's like, it is the perfect storyline, but only if you're following every single nook and cranny and it's like, there's obscure stuff and there's stuff that's weird. It's like, you know, imagine trying to explain what the whole bunch thing is to someone who doesn't watch Being the Elite when suddenly John Silver and Adam Cole are wrestling each other. Yeah. I think Excalibur tries to explain it in commentary and the rest of the commentary team are like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) It depends how far you're going along. Because this is a well-told story, you're willing to go with these things. But maybe the perfect version of this storyline that everyone could have appreciated every step of the way. Because a lot of those being the Elite stuff were really good and funny or entertaining or involving. Adam Page telling the Young Bucks that he wants to leave the Elite and then him being consoled by Cody and Kenny Omega. That was all being the Elite stuff. That wasn't Dynamite stuff. That wasn't... Rampage. Obviously, it wasn't Rampage stuff because Rampage wasn't there. But then you would also get it be paid off by Hangman apologising to the Young Bucks Mm. on Rampage, and that leading to the Young Bucks doing what they did in this match. I just think that there's an even better way to have presented this storyline. Yeah, and that's kind of what those videos were. They were the best presentation of it all. Really, it's like when we were we're gonna do an episode coming up about like if you were to recommend shows or uh, matches to people, and it was like. I think a great one to recommend to them would be the Sasha Banks-Bailey match at Brooklyn. Yes. But it would be even better if you could playlist it so you just saw every step of the way of Sasha Banks' character evolution, Bailey's character evolution, and the two of them meeting along the way as they rose in the ranks of the women's division. That would be the perfect way to tell that story. So I guess essentially what I'm saying is I want loads more YouTube channels like this YouTube channel which I... I'm guessing it was an AEW indoor, so it might not even exist anymore at this point, after I recommended it. <laughs> I've always said I love storylines where other wrestlers come in as supporting players, and they dip in and out of the storyline. Or they gather these characters along the way, so like I said, FTR come in at one point, and then they, after their natural end of their storyline with Hangman goes, then they go off to the Young Bucks, so they're sort of side, and the Young Bucks are involved along the way, so Matt Hardy's. Matt Hardy's involvement with the Hardy family office and everything, plus the Elite when he joins the Elite for the Inner Circle feud. Funnily enough, the one that doesn't make a a proper character departure that makes sense is Cody. Yeah. But, you know, we won't get into that. Well, that's a whole, again, a whole separate thing there. Well, you know, we still haven't had confirmation or not if that whole rumour of it being because of a falling out is... Mm is or isn't to be believed. So yeah, the match is just kind of a very well-wrestled match, but it's like everything that's gone into it has been what's made it special, not 15,000 V-triggers and drop kicks and incredible dives through tables on the outside. Yeah. That's why I say, like, if you look at the match in and of itself as if we're equating, uh, like, a wrestling match as a self-contained thing, there's not enough of that. It's exciting without going too far into it. But as sports entertainment, it's a, like for me, it's a four and a half star match and five star sports entertainment, mm. which is really all I want from American wrestling promotions for the most part, anyway. Yeah, I can get my great wrestling elsewhere.
0: It's just like that little like I don't want to call it like a box checking exercise because it's not, but. When you compare it to like the whole two years, it, it sort of is, if if that makes sense. I'm not like trying to diminish it yeah. by the stretch of the imagination, but it's it's just the the last part of the story. It's the final piece of the puzzle.
1: They're hitting Big moves. Hangman hits the top rope fall away slab salt. you know, mm-hmm. Kenny Omega does do a dive to the outside. Hangman does a top rope moonsault to the outside. There's cool sudden reversals and uh, Kenny Omega V triggering Hangman when he goes for his buckshot lariat, and it's so funny actually with the buckshot lariat because it isn't one that you can do as a flash move, no. which I usually prefer for my finishers. You have to have a lot of setup, but because this is so dramatic, it works in that regards. Yeah, and I do like how he hits the the buckshot lariat to the back of the head that knocks Kenny down long enough for him to be like a dead man walking essentially, and that gives him the time. So he's essentially hit it once already, but not the perfect not the proper one. one to him. Like a
0: short-arm Rainmaker.
1: Yeah, or um, when Kenny Omega did that almost improvisational one-winged angel to Kazuchiro Okada out of nowhere. Yeah. That sort of sets him up for the final one that wins him the match. Also, I do want to quickly say that the ref bump off of that Buckshot Lariat is a fantastic Oh, yeah. One. And that takes that ref out for the rest of the match, which I appreciate. Because lo- I think there should be more consistency with what knocks a referee out for what amount of time, <laughs> you know? And the Aubrey Edwards just takes over as ref and she's ref for the rest of the match.
0: Yeah. Now, one little thing, when you see her running, there's one moment where I, I she doesn't trip, but there's, you know when you're running at, like down a ramp and then you have to, like, check your footing? There is a moment on that and... I,
1: she does have a slight... I did think she had a slightly awkward gait to her run, yeah. yeah.
0: There is a moment I'm like, oh, please, God, don't fall over.
1: <laughs> yeah, so what do you think of the Young Bucks... And their involvement. Someone tweeted the whole, you know, Shawn Michaels saying, I'm sorry, I love you, and what repercussions that's had. I've been critical of Matt Jackson in particular's very dramatic acting in the past. (laughs) Yeah. I thought this was relatively subdued, and it worked for what was being told. And I think it also helped, weirdly, that because they'd had that brutal match earlier, and because Matt Jackson was the one that took the concerto, they weren't really in any physical condition to get involved in the first place. Is it Nick that has the bag of ice sort of taped to him as well? That's a lot of nice. No, it's, it's Matt that's got it to his back, but I think they're both. Nick was the one that was thinking of grabbing Hangman's ankle, which, of course, Hangman had done mm. to them. them to cost them their match in the tag team tournament. And then they'd done to him to cost him his title match in the elimination match. Mm. And that's what he says, we're even now, I'm sorry. Which is, again, such a rare thing to have a babyface say sorry to Heels for something they've done, which is a fair thing to apologise for for what he did. Yeah. Again, what makes this such a unique variance of a long-held storyline? Like, babyfaces can never be apologetic, especially not to Heels. And Heels should never have any kind of moral... Standing at least at the point that they are heels. Maybe they had reasons for their anger and their frustrations, which you could have done with Hangman if Hangman had been the one to have turned heel. There were places along the road where they could have done that. Yeah. If the crowd hadn't taken to him.
0: It's weird, like he heels should never be in the right, but heels are best when they're kind of right. But this is one where they are. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well it's like Bret Hart in ninety seven is probably the great example of a guy who's right. Well, because he says it in what others perceive as a whiny voice. It's
0: not what you said. It's the way you said it.
1: <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. It is annoying when some smug, you know, I won't deny it. As someone of the left and prone to smugness, there are plenty of smug lefties that make you wish that they lose all the time just because of how annoying they are.
0: You know, and I'm one of them. I can't remember if it's a new or like a semi new Simpsons episode. There's being like, there's like a panel at, like, Springfield Elementary, and one uh, the last guy who's announced by Ken Brockman is like, I'm from uh, print media, such and such. And Nelson goes, ha-ha, your medium is dying. And um, Seymour um, Skinner goes, Nelson. It's like, but it is. There's being right and there's
1: being nice. My Simpsons analogy for it would be the one where they start the Pee Wee football team. Oh, yeah. And they say, we've got our teams. And then you hear, what position have you got for me? Oh, yes. And it's Lisa. (laughs) That's right. A girl wants to play football. How about that? That's super duper, Lisa. We've already got four girls on the team. You do? Well, football's not really my game. After all, who want to play a sport that involves the skin of an innocent pig? Oh, no, Lisa. These balls are synthetic. And for every one we buy, a dollar goes to Amnesty International. (laughs) I have to go. They don't care about being right in the, in a moral sense. They care about being right in a moral superiority sense and an ego-filling sense.
0: They care about looking like they're right. Yes. and
1: that's kind of what the Young Bucks were. That Maybe the Young Bucks were right at one point, but they were such arseholes about it. <laughs> Same with Kenny Omega. Well, at least it's on brand. Yeah, that a lot of Hangman's behaviour warranted a talking to, but it was the wrong kind of talking to that they gave him. Yeah. And they didn't... They weren't good... He wasn't a good friend to them, but they weren't good friends to him either. And then they got warped Mm. and bloated with their egos. And maybe because the wrong people were whispering in their ears and telling them the wrong things. And maybe because of their own failings, whilst being the good guy, made them think, well, maybe being the bad guy is what's going to bring us more success. It's what brought Kenny Omega the world title. Yeah, Obviously, we've had our issues with the Young Bucks storylines it is what it is (laughs) for this I think they did it right I think they told it right in this way Yeah, they did it with the referencing of them not going for his ankle they did it with the sense of Hangman had asked them to be in his corner for the match against Jericho which they said they couldn't do because they were busy with their own thing Yeah, which is kind of bullshit but it's also that sign of you know it's terrible it must be terrible I haven't had this yet well I guess I kind of have now I suppose if someone's your best friend but you're not their best friend Mm. it's like if you look at it in Friends I think both Ross and Chandler consider Joey to be their best friend but you know obviously that means Joey would have one ahead of the other you know you'd assume Chandler's his best friend because that means that whilst Ross sees Joey as his best friend, Joey doesn't see Ross as his best friend I mean I guess I have that now in that the guy I consider my best friend is now married so (laughs) you would hope that the person he's married to would be who he'd consider his best friend probably
0: Ah if if you're into that whole
1: if you're into that whole healthy relationship yeah uh,
0: <laughs> god
1: uh. so i guess that's what it is it was that idea that whilst hangman was a part of the elite you know he never felt like a true part because he came from a different place he had a different status within them he was the guy who would carry the bags essentially yeah and that was that and so then it's like well if you were to do it, hangman heel that's all you ever saw me as and if the Young Bucks are healed, it's like, yeah, that is all we ever saw you as, you know. And they do play up to that, you know, like Kenny Omega saying something condescending to him when he wins the match. You know, it's like that whole, what is it? He says, uh, you did a good job, kid, or whatever, mm. at the end of the full gear match. And then you see at the end of this match, Hangman says something to Kenny Omega, which we don't know yet. But maybe that will be referenced down the line. Yeah. Maybe that's him saying sorry to Kenny, you
0: know. Or, you know, saying like, I love you in a kind of way. Maybe, I don't know
1: yeah well, well we'll find out we'll find out that's part that's part of the journey the seed that a seed has been sown there so where do you want hangman to go from here obviously we've got him against brian danielson and he is being presented i suppose now as what jim Cornette thinks a champ should be which is the take no nonsense 100 percent confident in themselves believes they're the best in the company and now we'll take on the guy that would probably be like no you're not in Brian Danielson. Yeah, there's an interesting thing with with so often when people become champions, especially ones that have a lot of backing on their way to becoming it, is that there's a, often that sense of a deflation. It's like day two of a revolution, and now no one knows what to do.
0: It's a drop off.
1: We got there, but we didn't know what to do afterwards, and so the very often that can see you can that can lead to the crowd turning on Hangman. And I kind of like that as a recurring motif in wrestling that winning the world title is almost like be careful what you wish for. And that it, like the one ring in Lord of the Rings, it itself is a corrupting force that makes you worse. Like, it can almost be a morality test for you once you've got everything, you know? It's like people say they expose their true selves when they've got, when they're famous or when they've got everything they've ever wanted. Yeah. Because they don't have to pretend anymore. So could you see, like, a hangman page at the end of it being, like, in Kenny Omega's position in a year's time and putting over Jungle Boy or Darby Allen or someone like that or do you think he is what I've always seen him as is like a Magnum TA sort of or, you know and we're talking about this is like a, a new depiction of masculinity in Hangman Page showing weakness and frailties and anxieties and that that's what a true man is it's taking that western myth of the real cowboy mm. but it's the millennial cowboy you know he's not going to be that version of it that John Wayne and Clint Eastwood that were, you know, lionised in their time, but now look really, really dodgy in so many ways.
0: <laughs> yeah. And
1: that Hangman's taking what a true man is in the 21st century sense of it, with sensitivity, with caring, compassion, and doubt, and an ability to see one's own mistake. Yeah,
0: I personally
1: think Hangman overcomes Brian Danielson. I don't see him holding it for a year. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he drops it sometime in the late spring or yeah. summer. I think his story is
0: better when he's pursuing something, when when he's defending something. But that's true of a lot of baby faces.
1: I don't know if I agree with that. I don't like that whole, the, the money's in the chase, because I don't think that's true. I don't think you can keep deflating people. If faces lose more than they win, then I think that deflates. I think that's where Vincent Mann was right and Dusty Rhodes was wrong. I think you want to give people happier endings as much as possible.
0: Mm.
1: And that if the money's in the chase, then it just makes it feel like it's diminishing returns that if every time the babyface wins, it's just going to be a case of, Oh, they'll lose. And then they'll sink back down on the card. Like sting, you know, sting had so many, this is your moment. You're the top guy now in WCW. And then it was like, no, we're going to go somewhere else. Like that was in eighty nine with when he beat Flair. It was in ninety one when he beat Lex Luger. It was in ninety seven when he beat Hollywood Hogan. True. Like even worse, you got the Lex Luger uh, version of it. And AJ Styles was so often that case in TNA. How many times did he have his big coronation winning the title and, oh, and then gosh, just yeah. six, nine, 12 months down the line, he's been put back in the X division to help freshen up yeah. that division? Yeah,
0: I, I don't, I'm don't. i not saying like a drop to that level. I personally think MJF is going to be the guy to like dethrone him.
1: I think it's one of three candidates and that is MJF, CM Punk hmm? or cody Rhodes.
0: oh god if that if they if they are doing oh if they are being smart about it like like, we'll see we'll see with that but yeah that the response if it's cody will be mint
1: (laughs) cody doesn't have that that resolution to his part of the storyline with hangman adam page Mm. and and he's the one that's giving hangman like a pep talk and then you know just eventually Cody falls out of the Inner Circle storyline and becomes his own thing with the Nightmare Factory and all that stuff. and
0: The Cody-verse is born.
1: But I think at some point, Cody's going to come out of that world and suddenly start interacting again with them. I can't believe that it's down to politics. It so awkwardly happened, but <laughs> I think they know that the, the money's there. I think when they had Cody lose the chance to challenge for the title again, they knew at some point, we can make this work, that he challenges for it again. Yeah. And it'll be something that drives the fans crazy. MJF's the logical one. Like I said, because I think of Hangman Page as the Magnum TA of this era, I want to see him and MJF essentially replicate the Magnum TA, Tully Blanchard feud all over again. I want Magnum to be stood over a, a sobbing, humiliated MJF and then just walking away, you know? Yeah. That's what I want. Whether that's for the title or not, who knows? I don't know.
0: When we get to find out, which is the exciting thing. Like,
1: yeah. So, I mean, I've given my opinions of the ratings from the start. You haven't given yours, and you're usually a bit more generous with the five stars. Would you give this match five stars?
0: I wouldn't. No, no. I. But what I would say is, it's a. It was been a five star experience. Yes, but this isn't a five star match.
1: It wasn't just this match. It wasn't just these twenty five minutes. No it was the 25 months that went into the 25 minutes yeah but anyway if people want to talk to you simon about the uh, long-term storytelling how can they do so
0: uh they can get in touch with me on twitter where i'm sending a simon cross free free for the number of times i had heart palpitations on the day leading up to this match just going they're not going to let like, screw him are they just, they're not
1: my name's Lorcan Munnan, that's L-O-R-C-A-N M-U-L-L-A for the A at the start of Adam, N for the N at the end of Hangman That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook Letterboxd, if you put that gmail.com at the end of it that's my email address, get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com lmtyspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles and if you feel like throwing a few pennies our way then we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash lmtyspod For the next episode Assuming there are no five-star matches, and as we're coming into the end of 2021, there are certain things we have to hit, as is the usual annual traditions. But one thing we still have to do is our match of the weeks. And as already said a couple of weeks ago, it's my pick next time. And I'm going for the June of 2001 Triple Crown match in All Japan between defending champion and recently returned native Genichiro Tenryu against New Japan stalwart and the Forbidden Door of 2001 has been opened, the man who really jumped through it as much as possible, Kijimuto. Yeah, baby. But there's nothing left to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's
0: Simon Cross.
1: Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five and a half star time. Until the next time.